Amen. All right. So graciously, we're moving forward now. Um, this is uh, a, a new series that uh, we're starting for the summer, uh, and it it is called Missing Pieces. Missing Pieces. Let me tell you why. Uh, we have concluded the series called The Rest of the Story, and that was a survey of the Bible. We went through the entire Bible, skipping over books and, and really surfacing at around 30,000 feet, never really to get too deep in any one particular passage or book. And uh, as we flew through, we all thought, I, I know you probably felt this, that you know we missed a passage that is very important and really quite helpful to all of us. And it was kind of a bummer that we just had to skip over that. And so this summer, the staff has decided that, you know, we're just going to pick off pieces of, of Scripture that we skipped over. We're going to call it Missing Pieces. And this morning is the very first of that series. Uh, and you'll see all kinds of different pieces. Uh, another reason we, we like to do this is because in the summer, you know, we all kind of skip town. We're in and out of town all the time. And our attendance here might be a little less uh, consistent. And so it's the kind of sermon that you can come in and not have a lot of background to uh, over the summer. So this morning we're going to be in Acts chapter 16. And if you can turn there, uh, I need a, I think I misplaced my Bible. I'm going to run down here. I think there's one here. Hey, thank you. Acts chapter 16. I'm going to read a few verses. It's important to read these verses, and maybe that's all we'll do today. But, uh, but Acts chapter 16 uh, because we need to get our minds into what's going on. It's one of my favorite passages in the Bible uh, because three very important things happen that, that uh, really change the way Paul does ministry. So I'm going to start in the ninth verse, and we'll read a little bit and then go to the end. So Acts 16, verse 9, And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. A man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying come over to Macedonia and help us and when Paul had seen the vision immediately we sought to go on into Macedonia concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them so setting sail from Tro- Troas we made a direct voyage to Samothrace and followed uh and, f- and the following day to Neapolis and from there to Philippi which is a leading city of the district of Macedonia and a Roman colony. We remained in this city some days, and on the Sabbath day, we went outside the gate to the riverside, where we supposed there was a place of prayer, and we sat down and spoke to the women who had come together. One who heard us was a woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a seller of purple goods who was a worshiper of God. The Lord opened her heart to pay attention to what was said by Paul, and after she was baptized and her household as well she urged us saying if you have judged me to be faithful to the lord come to my house and stay and she prevailed upon us as we were going to the place of prayer we were met by a slave girl second person who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling she followed paul and us crying out These men are servants of the Most High God who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Paul, having become greatly annoyed, turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus to come out of her. And it came out that very hour. And you see the passage. They get mad at at Paul for casting this demon out or this spirit out that caused a great gain for them, a lot of money. 
and they throw them in prison. Skip down to 25. Around midnight, now they're in prison with their feet fastened. And after midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God. And the prisoners were listening to them. And suddenly there was a great earthquake so that the foundations of the prison were shaken. And immediately all the doors were opened and everyone's bonds were unfastened. When the jailer awoke and saw that the prison doors were opened, he drew his sword and was about to kill himself, supposing that the prisoners had escaped. But Paul cried with a loud voice, Do not harm yourself, for we are all here. And the jailer called for the lights and rushed in and trembled with fear. He fell down before Paul and Silas. And then he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? And the rest of the story is the beginning of the Philippian church. Now, normally we take a couple of minutes, but we've lost a couple of minutes. So let's bulldoze right into the sermon and, uh, and just think about, have your Bibles open to, to Acts 16, because I think it's important to realize what's going on here. Paul feels stuck. Paul feels stuck. He, he feels stuck with the women of prayer by the river. He feels stuck and annoyed by this slave girl. And he feels and is physically stuck in the inner cell with his feet fastened by chains. So this is a chapter of being stuck. I have felt stuck. I know you have. Many of you have felt stuck in your job, stuck in your family, stuck in your school, in your neighborhood. You want to move out, but you can't afford to. Or wherever you are that you feel stuck, you felt this way, I know. And what happens is you lose sight of what's really happening. And Paul learns by the third person he meets in this, this region of Macedonia. He realizes what really is going on. I felt stuck when I came to Wilmington. I came from Japan and before that, California. And I had these glorious jobs of teaching adults, adults at the college level, linguistics and English grammar. And I taught adults in like college students. I taught um, international students. I taught immigrants you know, the, uh, how to speak English so they could become citizens. It was, a, it was a great career up to that point. And I went to Japan. I was a professor. They called me sensei. I was very proud of that. I came back to Wilmington, and I worked at Rucker John's. So <laughs> that was a fall from grace. And I felt stuck at Rucker John's. And you know what happened? I looked all around. I said, forget education. I'm going to go in a new direction. Maybe I'll be in business. So I tried all these different kinds of jobs when I got here. And I realized I wasn't really qualified for anything outside of education. And so I started looking in the school system. And uh, what I wanted was was closest thing to you can get to the adults that I've been known for teaching, I've been used to. Well, you know what happened? I started working in elementary schools. You know, these little kids, and it, you really had to wipe their noses as you taught them English. And then I went I went to a different place this no man's land called middle school. If you're in middle school, you're in no man's land. You're the tween, right? You're between the kid and the older kid, the teenager. And so I went, I remember I went to Leland Middle School, sat down in, in the principal's office, and, and she had some time. So I, I had a conversation with her. And she said, what are you looking for? I'm, I'm looking for a job. Well, okay, you, you can work here. <sighs> okay, uh, what do you got? You know, sixth grade English. I started the next week, by the way. And I didn't have a license. I had a degree, but I didn't have a license, so I was, I was licensed 
over the summer or over the next year and the summer. So I, it was a really interesting situation. But I felt stuck in that sixth grade classroom. What am I doing here? I'm a professor, don't you know? And these kids were running crazy, and I'm like, this is crazy, this is nuts. But you know what I figured out after two years of teaching there? I learned that this was the age that I love the most, teenagers. I just get them. I just, I realized I'd never really grown up myself, so I get teenagers. And you've heard them. You've heard teenager after teenager, um, including Grayson, say that I'm the greatest Christian, right, in the world. You've heard that. And uh, you have to know what that means, by the way. There's an inside joke a little bit here. Um, the only qualification to be a Christian is that you're not qualified. Am I right? To be a sinner and to know you're a sinner and to call on Jesus for salvation. So being the greatest Christian really just means being the greatest, greatest sinner, I, I'm sure. But, um, but I, love, I love this age group. I realized that I wasn't stuck at all. I was sent. And there were many lives that I was able, over the six years I taught in that classroom, six years, many lives that were changed by God's grace because of me. I contributed. I, we read uh, all kinds. I, I signed, I had parents sign this document that if you want biblical principles in the classroom to help your student learn, you know, how to, how to behave and all that. All the parents signed it, and so I had, a, I had, in a public school system, I could talk about the Lord. And we read the Chronicles of Narnia. And, and we talked about what, who's Aslan? And well, hey, here's what I think, you know. And so lots of kids had lots of great conversations and it was just, a, it was great. I loved it. Uh, and at the end of that time, I realized I wasn't stuck. I was sent. And that's a mind shift for us this morning. As you're encountering Acts 16, you know what that feels like to be stuck in a job, stuck in a home, stuck in a family, stuck. You're, you're stuck. Here's the big stuck. Every single person that follows Jesus Christ feels stuck in a fallen world waiting for heaven. Think about it. We are saved. Our sins are forgiven. I stand before God's throne of judgment with not my righteousness, but Jesus' righteousness. I have his righteousness and all my unrighteousness is gone. So why is it? If I have a ticket to get in, why can't I go? Why does God insist that I stay here ready and fit for heaven? I don't have to do anything. I don't have to go to purgatory. I don't have to do anything to get more fit than I already am in Christ for heaven. Why then do I have to live the rest of my life here in this fallen world? I'm stuck. And if you feel that way, your whole Christian life can be like a senior. They're sitting here. In, there, there's a couple of them out here. Seniors in high school, they get senioritis right now. They're feeling this way, right? Their minds are in college, and they're sitting in high school. I texted some of them, and they texted back some words that were helpful to me. They said that feeling like a senior is like, it's just monotonous. You know what I mean? It's just monotonous. It's meaningless it's boring do you feel that you remember those of you who are older you know you know what it's like to be a senior in high school ready to go to the next step or those of you who are engaged to get married and maybe let's say in a week you'll be married you're sitting here right now well there's no one like that in our congregation so bad example 
but you feel stuck and you're just waiting and every day seems meaningless. You just got to get to that. We as Christians can feel that way because Jesus says in my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, I would have told you I'm going there to prepare a place for you. And now we're all thinking of the wonderful place where he's going and where we're not. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come back and take you with me. Our hearts just break. But right now we're stuck, aren't we? And so Paul feels that way, I think, in Philippi. He's stuck. Three things. I've mentioned them already. First, he's stuck with a group of women. You know, in his first missionary... Yes, it's true. His first, Follow me here. First missionary journey, Paul was, was you know, surrounded by men, mostly in the synagogues. And then once the synagogue thing was over, he went out to the Gentiles and preached the gospel to them. And he had great success, his first missionary journey. But most of them were men. If you read through Acts 12, 13, 14, you know, the previous chapters, you'll see that that's true. And so it was one time he stood up and he said, men and brothers... He had this real masculine, and it's like he's, he's reasoning with the synagogue, the Jews and the Gentiles. He was reasoning with men and brothers. And guess what the vision showed Paul? A Macedonian man. So Paul enters Macedonia and Philippi thinking probably, most likely, a man. There's not a Jew, a Jewish man. There's not even ten. You know how many people it takes to create a synagogue? Ten. Ten men to create a Jewish synagogue in a, in a foreign city. There's not even that many in in Philippi. So Paul comes into Philippi. There's not even 10 men. And he hears maybe there's this group that prays by the river. And he goes and he finds a group of women. And Paul's thinking, okay, this isn't quite what I expected. I'm looking for the men and brothers. You know, the, the thing I'm used to. And Lydia, you can see where Paul is coming from in verse 13. The Sabbath outside the city gate expected to find a place of prayer we sat down one of those listening was a woman lydia a dealer in purple cloth look at verse 15 when she and the members of her household were baptized she invited us to her home right there paul would say yes great let's go but the words indicate that paul might have felt a little differently than that if you consider me a believer in the Lord, then come and stay at my house. And she prevailed upon us. She persuaded us. Paul was in need of being persuaded. <laughs> he wasn't looking for a w- woman where he could have his church headquarters. He was kind of looking for something different. The synagogue where the men of the Jewish faith was. And then all the women would sort of follow the men, right? That's kind of his thinking. But, but no, that's not what God's plan was. And so Paul felt stuck. Then he gets this slave girl, doubly a slave girl, not only enslaved by a spirit, but enslaved by humans who use her for money. And this slave girl, why does he cast out the demon? Like Jesus. Jesus did miraculous signs to point people to the glory of God, to the grace of God, to to himself as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. But why does Paul cast out the demon? a little less than that isn't it he doesn't have some kind of grandiose ministry goal paul is annoyed he's annoyed he's like this girl is cramping my style she is the definition of stuck i'm trying to preach and she's just getting in my way boom spirit come out of her thank you okay now we can proceed but the now we can proceed in paul's mind is preaching to the men and brothers still 
He's trying to get there. His mind is going in one direction. And you know what? God puts him in prison because he's, he, the whole enterprise here is, is broken. And those who were making money got mad and they threw him in prison. Now, what happens in prison is interesting because they go to the inner cell, not the outer cell, the inner cell, and they chain him. And they set a guard to guard Paul that, that so much so that, hey, if you, if you let him escape, we're going to kill you. That's why the guard was going to commit suicide. So what does that say about Paul and his group? Timothy and Silas. The Philippians thought that Paul was powerful. Paul realizes that. He thinks back on Lydia and he, th- he thinks, okay, well, there's my headquarters. I'm now here in prison. Am I stuck a third time? And thankfully, thankfully, Paul gets it. I'm not stuck in prison. I'm sent to prison. And you can read it, but I'll tell you what it says in Acts 16. They start singing. And who hears? Those in the prison, even the jailer, they all hear Paul singing glories to God. You hear that? That's preaching in prison right there. That's what he's doing. He's spreading the gospel of Jesus Christ in a prison. And all he can do, he can't even stand up. He just sits there and sings. Nothing will stop him. And and when the chains are unfastened, when the doors open up, does Paul jump up and say, finally, I'm running out of this prison and I'm looking for those darn men and brothers that I had the first missionary journey? No. What does he do? He stays right there in prison. He stays in prison. And he says, "We're we're all here. Why does he do that? Because he realizes he was not stuck in prison. Prison is not a barrier. Prison is not an interruption. Prison is the goal. He's sent there, right? And then the jailer becomes a Christian. Now, what happens? Let's just look at the, what happens to the Philippian church. Paul leaves Philippi and goes on to other cities, Berea and Athens and other cities in the second missionary journey. And, uh, and, and I'm sure he looks back on that experience and says, that is not what I expected at all. But what does the Philippian church do? How does it grow? What happens because of, because of those experiences that Paul had? Well, first, we realize that this women prayer group, headed up by Lydia at her house, becomes this great and famous headquarters for the Philippian church. So much so that the third prison or the third missionary journey, Paul goes back to the Philippian church to visit them, and it says Later on in Acts, that he went to Lydia's house. So there was a church that was vibrant right there in Philippi, in Lydia's house. Philippians 1, I'll read these words. This is what Paul thinks when he thinks of this group of women at Lydia's house. He says, I thank my God upon every remembrance of you, always, in every prayer of mine for you, making requests with joy. And here's why. For your fellowship in the gospel from the first day, from that first day by the river until now. This church had exploded. And Paul's expectation was that these women really wouldn't be able to lead very well. They, the church exploded because of these women. And it was really awesome. Then the slave girl. The slave girls we mentioned gave Paul fame, gave Paul power. Right? Because now they put him in this inner cell. And, and we move into the prison and a movement of God happens. Suddenly there was such a violent earthquake. The foundations of the prison shaken. At once all the prison doors flew open. And everyone's chains came loose. 
And Paul shouted, don't harm yourself. We're still here. And then the, the words of the Philippian jailer, what must I do to be saved? What must I do to be saved? So this was the Philippian church, and it exploded in, in more ways than Paul could ever imagine. Okay, so Paul's pride and joy was the Philippian church. In Philippians 4.1, he says, Therefore, my brothers and sisters, you whom I love and long for, you, my joy and my crown, stand firm in the Lord, dear friends. This church was an awesome church. There's another example of it in 2 Corinthians 8 where he talks about this church. I'll read it to you. It says, Brothers and sisters, we want you to know about the grace of God he has given in Macedonian churches. In the midst of a very severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty welled up in what? What do you expect? What it says is rich generosity. So they're impoverished themselves, and it wells up in more generosity. That's the Philippian church with Lydia and the jailer and this slave girl. And he says, and they exceeded our expectations, and they gave themselves, first of all, to the Lord. This church was a great, great church. And finally, we learn something that that Paul learns. We, We see Paul's eyes opening to this whole gender thing that he had kind of kind of locked into in the Jewish man that he was, you know, and other ways that he's kind of locked in. And then he realizes a lesson about what it means to be in Christ. In Galatians, he uses these words and he uses the Philippian church as an example to the Galatians. And he says, there is neither Jew nor Gentile. Slave nor free, nor male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Do you see how Acts 16 revolutionized Paul's outlook in so many ways? So are you stuck? The message for you today, if you're stuck, wherever it is in your life, you're sent. Just think that, mind shift that. I'm not stuck here, I'm sent here. And you know what's going to happen? You're going to see things you didn't see before. Your, your, your mind is going to say, okay, I'm, st- I'm stuck here. For, I'm, I'm sent here. I'm sent here for a purpose. Either I've got to learn something like Paul, or I've got to spread the gospel and watch it just explode in a way that's amazing. Two applications and we'll be done. First, God is busier than you think. God is busier than you think. If you think, this is me, if you think God is doing plan A, and I am doing plan B, and I realize maybe God's doing plan A, not plan B, you're wrong. You see, God is doing plan A, and plan B, and plan C, and D, and E, and F, and G. And he's doing it all in the same moment. And you may have a glimpse of A, or B, or both, but you're not going to have a glimpse of Everything God is doing. You could be stuck in such a way, stuck in such a way, you don't see any fruit. There was a girl when I went off to Catalina Island to be a cook. Granted, I was 16 years old when my parents allowed me to do this. I was by myself on the island for six weeks. And I was a cook. And I got into some trouble. (laughs) I was ready to party. (laughs) And this girl that did not know my parents, I don't even remember her name. Nobody knew who she was, but she saw me, and for some reason, she just knew I was a Christian or raised a Christian. She said, David, I know you've been raised a Christian. I know you know better. I just want to let you know I'm going to pray for you every day. 
you know how I felt. I'm like, get off my back, little mom. I mean, you're, what is this? You know, you're. And she hounded me. She said, here's a verse. To, here's a verse. Remember the Lord. You know, she prayed for me. and I, I, I avoided her. I hated her. But, but she rang. She haunted me. She rang in my mind. And, and her voice kept me out of so much trouble. I would, I would encounter a party and think, oh, I remember she just said that to me. And I, can't, I shouldn't. This is too far. And, I, and I, would, I would be warned by her words. And I walked away. I was saved. She left, and I didn't even say goodbye. I don't know her name. I don't know. She's probably here today. I don't even know. I don't know where she's at, (laughs) right? She was never thanked by me. God never allowed her to see me change at 19 and just explode, you know, in, in, in love for God. You could be that person to someone else right now. You might not ever see. God is busier than you think. Second, you are not stuck. You're sent. And if you're sent, in behind that is this idea of purpose. Now, let me just play a little bit. That's how we're going to end. So play a little bit. Some of you have heard that. If you're a teenager, you've heard this a thousand times. And I'm sorry. But this is, this is the truth. In, in my mind, heaven's over here and earth is over here. And the non-sinful things we do as a Christian, all the non-sinful things we do as a Christian, that we strive to do here on earth, we will also do in heaven. Only difference, it'll be way better. On earth, we pray, right? We pray, and we, we close our eyes and fold our hands because we're so distracted, and we, we just got to focus on God and focus on, go to the closet and focus on God. In heaven, God will be right there, and prayer will be perfected. Reading the Bible, I'm listening to God's voice. I'm trying to hear what he has to say to me, and Oh, this is a hard verse to understand. And oh, I have to know what the history is. And oh, it's, it's difficult to read the Bible to understand it. It's not impossible. It's not impossible. But it, there's times when the Bible, I mean, and it's a book in heaven that's perfected. The words of God will be audible in your ear because God will be speaking directly to you in heaven. Praising God, praising him with the corporate worship. We have a great band, but let me tell you about the band in heaven. It will be perfected. Do you know the only thing that is on earth, non-sinful Christian activity, that will not be in heaven? Acts 16, what happens? In 1 Thessalonians, Paul brags about the Philippian church, and he says, the message of Jesus rang out so much so that I didn't have to say anything else. I preached the gospel in Philippi. It exploded. And everyone in Macedonia heard the gospel because of that Philippian church. That's the purpose of us here on earth. That's how we bring God glory. Prayer, Bible study, corporate worship, accountability, relationships, all the things we have, those are all tools to help us proclaim and ring out the gospel to a lost and dying world. That's the purpose of our lives. That's what you're sent to your job, your neighborhood, your school, your family. That's what you're sent to do. And so I charge you, I I encourage you to expect that God will do great things in his own timing. Never in the way we expect (laughs) Never and when we expect them to, but always in more ways than we can see. Always in a way that causes our faith to become become known everywhere. And so together, let's pray that we will follow God.